0: Okay, if you would, please turn to the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 10. We're going to be reading chapter 10, verses 1 through 29. But Let me first ask the Lord's blessing upon our attentiveness to a long passage this morning. Father, I do ask that particularly now in the reading of your holy, infallible, inerrant order, the only thing that is infallible and inerrant this morning from this pulpit, that you allow us to be fully attentive, to look into the window back through history and see this, see this moment, see this moment in the life of the gospel and the life of the church, to the glory of our Savior, who will hold us fast, Jesus Christ. Amen. Acts 10 beginning with verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come to him and say, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise, Go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, An upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter then entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I ask you then, why have you sent for me? Blessed is the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, and historical word to our minds and to our hearts. So, Father, now I fall upon the grace that you work by the Holy Spirit in me and with us this morning as your church. Help me teach help me unfold as Peter searched for the meaning of this vision what this means for us in the gospel to the glory of your holy name Amen there is only one way to God to his loving merciful Arms, to eternal forgiveness of one's sins. Only one way to the future resurrection of the just in order to experience forever and ever the glory of the Holy Trinity. And that one way is for the Jews. And that same. One way is for all other people who are not Jews. No matter what religion they are raised in, no matter what cultures they practiced, no matter their race, their ethnicities, their social class, There is only one name under heaven given among all humanity by which any, any, anybody, one at a time, must be or can be saved. And that is the name of Jesus. It is only through the shed blood of Christ on the cross and His victory over death through His resurrection. And therefore, at the very core of the gospel of Jesus is the power to destroy sinful pride in one's birth status. Pride of the group I identify with by virtue of nothing I've done. It is the gospel. Cuts the cord. Pride of I'm a Jew. I am wealthy, rich, upper class. I am white, an American white with our history. I am brown-skinned, proud to be part of my group, which is preeminent. They see that's the key. I'm black, yellow, and purple. And here's therefore, because of my Jewishness, blackness, whiteness, and social class, I am better than. Others from another group. Racism, classism, elitism are horrific antichrist sins. And Jesus is the unifying reality who takes people from every group that we can possibly be divided in. Class. Religion, culture, musical taste. And let's go on and on and on and on. Male and female. And he takes for himself a people to be one. One body. His bride. Forever. This is the gospel of justification by faith, alone, apart from any birth status, apart from any works that you do in order to get saved. This is the rub of what we have just read. And so as we turn to Acts 10, just pull back for a second because we need to get some kind of a contextual backdrop to really understand this this vision and the huge significance of the vision God gave to the apostle Peter and then Peter's subsequent actions because this is no small thing if you put yourself back there in that historical context so here's the backdrop God calls a pagan man named Abraham and he makes a covenant with him and with his descendants after him Isaac In Jacob. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. He has 12 sons, they become the 12 clans tribes of Israel over the next few hundred years. They grow to about two million people and are in slavery in Egypt. And then God comes down and uses his servant Moses to deliver his people Israel out of slavery. And there in the wilderness at the base of Mount Sinai, God gives to his people Israel the law. He gives to them the moral law for all humanity. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Do not have any other gods before him. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not bear false witness. Do not steal. Do not covet. Everyone is under that. It is the problem of humanity that that law shines a light on and convicts of the reality of sin. But in the law, he not only gave the moral, universal law, he gave the very particular law to his chosen people, Israel. The ceremonial law, the cultural laws, in order to set his people, Israel, the Jews, apart from all other people's Of the earth. And so he gave to them the sacrificial system and the priesthood instructions on how to do it, the Passover to be celebrated every year, how to construct all the furniture within the tabernacle, and then eventually the tabernacle will become the temple in Jerusalem, (laughs) and of course the rite of circumcision as the sign of the covenant God made with the people Israel. And the food laws, kosher laws, kosher diet. That word kosher—not biblical word the way, but what we mean by that. And you hear it. You be on an airplane. I got a kosher meal because I'm a practicing Orthodox Jew. Okay, so kosher means essentially clean or pure, as opposed to. Unclean. And in biblical context, meaning forbidden for me. As a Jew, I'm holy. That's an unholy food to eat. That's not kosher. It is unclean. And so, God, the Creator, He gave to His chosen people food law. You shall not eat this. It's detestable and unclean to you. These you may eat. And I'm going to take the time to either now you listen or turn there where these are really laid out in the law of Moses, God's holy word, Leviticus chapter 11. Hear the word of the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, These are the living things that you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Whatever parts the hoof and is cloven-footed and chews the cud among the animals, you may eat. Nevertheless, among those that chew the cud or part the hoof, you shall not eat these. The camel, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof. It is unclean to you. And the rock badger, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof. It is unclean to you. And the hare, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof is unclean to you. And the pig, the delicious pig. Because it parts the hoof, and it is cloven-footed, but it does not chew the cud, eats junk. It is unclean to you. You shall not eat any of their flesh. These you may eat of all that are in the waters. Everything in the waters that has fins and scales, Whether in the seas or in the rivers, you may eat. But anything in the seas or in the rivers that does not have fins and scales like crab and lobster of the swarming creatures in the waters and of the living creatures, etc., of the waters, they are detestable to you. You shall regard them as detestable. You shall not eat any of their flesh. And these you shall detest Among the birds, they shall not be eaten. They are detestable. The eagle, the bearded vulture, the black vulture, the kite, the falcon of any kind, every raven of any kind, the ostrich, the night hawk, the seagull, the hawk, and on and on and on and on. He goes. And these are unclean to you among the swarming things that swarm on the ground the mole rat. The mouse, the great lizard of any kind, the gecko, the monitor lizard, the lizard, the sand lizard—if you don't know the difference, you just ask Andrew later. (laughs) And the chameleon. These are unclean to you among all that swarm. Okay, that's in the Bible. That is Bible, law of Moses. That's God's law about eating to his people, Israel. Now, if you know the history of Israel in the Bible, up to the Babylonian captivity, there's all kinds of times they're not practicing any of this stuff, and constant rebellion against God. After the Babylonian captivity, around 500 into 400 B.C., the Jews who matriculated back into the homeland began to take very seriously biblical laws now. And it grew and it grew and it grew by practicing again the rite of circumcision and their festivals and the new moon and the Sabbath keeping and the food laws. So actually, when you open up your New Testament, boom, and you're in the Gospels, and there's Jesus and his ministry, you're meeting Judaism all over the place in differing denominations or theological bents and sects of it. That Judaism is what developed during the close, after the close of the Old Testament and the rise of the first century when Jesus comes on the scene. And they were taking the law very seriously, so much so that besides what is written, the scripture, the Torah, the law, they had tons of oral traditions about how to keep the various laws. They call that the halakha. It wasn't written down yet. It eventually got written down and all that kind of stuff ends up in what they call the Talmud. It was being taken very seriously. So when you see Jesus in his ministry and you wonder why are these very religious, observant Jews, particularly of the Pharisaic denomination or theological persuasion, why are they constantly so angry at Jesus when he heals? does good work on Saturday, on the Sabbath. One one reason is because it's one of the Ten Commandments, but the Jews had over 800 ordinances or laws, tradition, on how to keep the one commandment. It says, God created on the seventh day, therefore you are not to work on the seventh day, but you are to rest. It is holy unto the Lord. 800 ways. What does that mean? Is it work to lift my arm? Is it work to turn a fire on? And so, on and on. The traditions of men. All right. Here's a context. Eight months ago, we began in the book of Acts, got to get this, all of Jesus' apostles are Jews, born Jews, circumcised on the eighth day, raised Jewish with all of the biblical, cultural Jewish observances. They did not eat bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwiches. Not because of tomato and the lettuce, or onion's good in there too, but not because of the bacon. They didn't eat baby back ribs or lobster tail or crabs or anything else that is written in Leviticus 11. And their not doing so is one of the distinctive aspects of their culture that separated them from all the other cultures in the world. And biblically, it's what separated them along with all the other cultural distinctives from the other peoples meaning all the non-Jews called in the Bible the nations as opposed to the Jews or another way to translate that the nations is Gentiles. This is the culture of all of the Christians that we have been reading about over the last eight months through our journey in the first nine chapters of the book of Acts. You see, when the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost and they're speaking in tongues and Peter goes out and preaches Jesus and the resurrection, they didn't gather later that evening and said, look at this, we are now free. Let's go have some baby back ribs and some lobster tail. Mm, I've been waiting to eat that. I've heard from some of these Gentile soldiers how good that is. They didn't do that. And they didn't say, oh, by the way, then let's go visit some of these soldiers when they're off duty in their homes as Gentiles and let's go preach Jesus to them. That did not happen. These are Jews who have been saved by the Jewish Messiah. And they have been preaching to fellow kosher-eating Jews for seven years, for seven years these believers were worshiping the Lord Jesus and God the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. They were preaching the historical fact of the bodily resurrection of Jesus and most of them never even thought about the issue of evangelizing Non Jews to salvation in Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. Got it? They all still, like, they have their culture. We all have our different cultures. They all still practiced the biblical, ceremonial, cultural, food eating laws. They didn't stop evangelism for seven years was mainly this in-house thing. Their assumption was obviously salvation in Jesus, the Messiah is meant for the Jews not for unclean disgusting sinful unredeemable Gentiles it's meant for the Jews and half-Jews the, Samaritans. the Apostle Paul portrays this attitude perfectly, this short little sentence in Galatians 2.15. Peter, you and I are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. These early Christian Jews, like Peter, the Apostle John and Mary and Rebecca and Sally Sue, they did not eat with Gentiles. They didn't eat Gentile food or non-kosher food. They did not go into Gentile homes. The separation was huge. and That's why now Peter is so stunned at the vision that God gives to him. Peter, do you see all the animals in this sheet that you're told not to eat from Leviticus chapter 11? You see the pig? You see the eagle? You see the lizard? Peter, I want you to grab one at a time and I want you to kill it. Appropriately and drain the blood. And I want you to season it and prepare it. And I want you to cook them. And I want you then to sit down and eat. Peter's response. To the Lord. No! No way! I'm a good Jew. I get it. Oh, Jesus, you must be testing me. <laughs> so you know, come on. I know. Dude, why are you doing it again? We're on that beach, at the Sea of Galilee. Do you love me, Peter? Do you love? I love you, Jesus. You still know I love you too much to disobey your food laws for Jews that you laid out in the Bible. And the Lord knows, Peter's not getting it. So, he has to do it, and changes the wording again for him, but two more times to drive home the point to Peter. And the point is this, that with the coming of the Messiah, with the shedding of the blood of the new covenant, God has Abolished the food laws. Clear. You just turn back to the gospel. In Mark chapter 7, this is what Jesus said, verses 18 to 19. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person, and that means through the mouth, what you're going to eat, Whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, make him unclean. Since it enters not his heart, that immaterial soul, where that's where our sin springs from, a rebellion against God. That's what Jesus is going to be talking about in the context. It doesn't enter your heart. It just enters your stomach and is expelled into the toilet. That's what Jesus says. And then, see, Mark, as he's penning this 25 years after the resurrection, Mark's a Jew. Mark puts in parentheses, he makes a comment. Thus, Jesus declared all foods clean. And the larger message of this vision. And Peter got it. He grasped it. It's not merely the food thing. It is that he now knows he is not, as a Jew, to look at non-Jews, persons, as unclean, unworthy of having the gospel preached to them. He got it. It's right there in verse 28. Go down there. This is what he says when he gets to Caesarea and he says to the Gentiles he's talking to, you Gentiles, you know this. You yourselves know how unlawful, meaning religiously unlawful, it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But, God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. And God knew, He knew exactly what Peter would need in order to go through such a radical theological paradigm shift. And so, he first sends the angel to the Gentile, Cornelius. He's a Roman officer. Cornelius belongs to the Italian cohort, which meant he was in this very, very uh, exclusive elite social class from Rome, Italy. And he is Italian. He was also a God-fearer, which means he had come, like many Gentiles, God-fearers, to believe in the one true God. Not this paganism and plurality of gods. And No, no, no. They come to believe that the Hebrew Scripture and the creation story and the God of Abraham is the one true God. God, Cornelius, gave regularly money to Jewish organizations because he wanted to support God's chosen people. And the text is clear. He prayed to God. He prayed continuously. And so, God sends the angel. Look at verse 4 to 6. The angel then is very specific to Cornelius. Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. So now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And so Cornelius obeys, and he sends three men 30 miles south to Joppa. It's a two-day journey. They sleep overnight, and they get up again, and now their last day, they're going to get there. That morning, Peter gets away from everybody to be alone with God. He goes up upon the roof. it has got to be flat. He's up there to hang out. With God. Now it's about 12 noon in lunchtime, and he's getting hungry, and out of the blue, all of a sudden, bam, the heavens open. He sees a vision. God throws him into a trance. Let's just read it. Verse 11. And he saw the heavens opened, and something like a, a great sheet. Just think of a big, huge, massive bedsheet, but you know, big as the earth or whatever. It's descending, and is being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals, and reptiles, and birds of the air. All that stuff, he knows never to eat, from Leviticus 11. And there came a voice to him, "Rise, Peter, kill and eat." But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Peter stunned and just still, God, what's going on? What does this mean? And he needed a little bit more help than just the vision. And so God orchestrated it that these three men would be arriving at that property right at that time. And then God speaks to him as these guys are outside. Peter, there are three men looking for you. The Spirit says, I've sent them. What they tell you, do what they say. Go with them. And what happens next, it is stunning. But you can just read right over and not know it. He invited these three unclean Gentiles into the house. Not only that, to spend the night with him and all the other Jews in that house. Peter better hope that this does not leak out and get back to the Jerusalem church. For he is in deep water. Much less what he's going to do the next day and go into a Gentile Oh, So let's pick up again, verse 23. So the next day, Peter rose and he went away with them, the three men, the Gentiles, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. That means these other Christian Jews. And that was, we find out later from Luke, six of them. So there's six Christian Jews from Joppa that go with Peter. So there's ten in all, seven Christian Jews, three Gentiles. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea, and Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. I mean, you would too. I mean, an angel appeared to me. What is going to happen? And so, when Peter entered, Cornelius met him, and Cornelius fell down at his feet and worshipped Peter. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up. I am also just a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered, and he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I ask then, why you sent for me? And then Cornelius rehearses his vision to him, and this is what's happened, etc., and that sets Peter up to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, which will come to, God willing, next week for this morning here's that main huge massive gospel point and it is the point that Peter got I read it again God has shown me that I should not call any Person, common, unclean, Jews and Gentiles—it's the only persons and peoples in the world. We can break it up for all. You can go to Gentiles, and you can go to thousands of people groups, cultures, languages. Jews and all the other cultures and traditions of the world are potential objects of God's mercy and love and salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And with that, the point as the the first century starts to unfold, particularly through God's or Jesus' apostle to the Gentiles, is this, that when non-Jews hear the gospel, come alive in faith, they do not need to convert to Judaism in order to be saved by Jesus. They do not need to go through the ceremonial rite of conversion through circumcision and the washings. They do not need now to neglect eating the foods that are listed in Leviticus chapter 11 in order to be saved or to keep their salvation. Why? Because... That would be antithetical to the gospel of justification by faith alone, apart from any works. This reality that we see unfolded this morning in the book of Acts is the good news of Jesus Christ to the whole. world. And good news, the gospel, which means good news, starts and always starts with reality, which is bad news. All have sinned. All have sinned. Slave or free, Jew or Gentile, and are under the wrath of God. The bad news is this. If you are religious, if you're a religious Jew, and you are meticulous about keeping kosher diet, you have been circumcised appropriately, you keep... Jewish holy festival days and Sabbath-keeping every week, you will die in your sins and you will be justly condemned if you don't embrace the only Savior, Jesus, the Messiah. And if you're a non-Jew, You're a Gentile. You're a pagan. You're an atheist. You're a Roman Catholic. You're a Sovereign Grace Fellowship person or any other kind of Protestant or Eastern Orthodox or a Muslim or or a Buddhist or, or a Hindu. You make up your own. If that's you, and you have not believed. In Christ, and the message of the sins of all who are being saved have been nailed to His cross, and God raised Him from the. And you don't believe that, you also will die in your sins, and you will be justly condemned. There is only one way to be saved. And it is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the gospel of being made right, forgiven, and having righteousness given to you as a gift forever and ever. It is the gospel of justification. It comes by grace alone, through your faith alone apart from any works of the law. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. That's secret to God. We can look back constantly. Oh, that's what happened. I can see God's providence. I don't, might or might not know what to make of it or how to interpret it, but we can see His providential hand Because he is absolutely sovereign. And in God's providence over redemptive history, this Jewish religious law keeping is what set the context for the crystal clarity of the gospel of justification by faith alone. Apart from any works of the law. That says, Jew or Gentile, the way to be saved is to place your faith or to place your trust in Christ's death for the punishment of your sin. Place your trust in His work and in Jesus' active obedience throughout His human life and perfect righteousness. Place it all in Him and nothing in you and in your doing and you'll be saved. It is by faith by trust in the gospel, in Christ, alone. Alone means apart from your doing this or that or this other thing in order to be saved. In the context of the Jewish law-keeping by many professing Christian Jews in the first century. That is the context that God providentially used, particularly through the Apostle Paul's ministry, to bring out the true gospel loud and clear. But it didn't start with Paul. It started with Jesus. I'm going to turn to a parable of Jesus in Luke chapter 18 for a moment. Verses 9 to 11. Luke, as he's going to unfold what Jesus does here, because Jesus is clearly like he always does. No Holds Barred is attacking the mentality that says, I am worthy. I am saved. I'm justified because I do biblical ordinances. Verse 9, Luke says, He, Jesus, listen to how he sets it up here too. He he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And hear this, and thus what? Treated others with contempt. So here he goes. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee. The other, a tax collector. Okay, they're both Jewish. The Pharisee, a tax collector, a Jew, a Jew who becomes a tax collector is a traitor. And they're not practicing all these religious ordinances like the Pharisee. They're like a Gentile to them. They're, they're disgusting, unclean sinners. You see this throughout Jesus' ministry. The prostitute, what are you doing? Why do you let her cry on your feet? Are you Jesus, what's the matter with you? Okay. This is the tax collector. So Jesus says there's two men. One Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself there in the temple, prayed this way. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give 10% of everything I earn. Jesus goes on. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus concludes this way. I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified. And the Pharisee did not. Because only one way to be justified. And that is to trust in nothing, in yourself. As Paul would cry out as the Pharisee of Pharisees at one time, Oh boy, did I excel them all. But I yearn on that day to be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that is derived from the law, but only that which comes to me is a gift through faith in Jesus Christ. So I'll turn to another passage of Paul Romans 3 then. Because in this passage now, Paul, the great apostle of the gospel, to the Gentiles. He is laying it out clearly. What we're going to read here, this is Paul referring to kosher-eating Jews and pagan Gentiles. And Paul is making it crystal clear. doesn't matter where you come from, what race, what ethnicity, what social class, or anything else. No person under heaven. No person has any advantage with God based upon their accident of birth. Nor based upon the religion you're raised in. Nor based upon your own religious functions that you would perform. No one has any righteousness that would ingratiate God to them. I begin with verse 20, Romans 3. Paul writes, hear the Gospel, For by works of the law Kosher eating, Sabbath keeping, go on and on. Or even throw in there, I don't commit adultery, moral law. By the works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. Since, why? It is through the law of Moses that just condemns us. Or in other words, comes what? The knowledge of my sin. If you read it right, you realize, woe is me, I'm the tax collector. Have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the work of the law, period. It cannot justify you by your adherence to it. That's what he says. No one will be justified to the law. Only the knowledge of your sin comes. But watch now the gospel. But now, since Christ has come, the righteousness—not not of your law doing—it's not in anybody—the righteousness of God. It has been manifested apart from the law, apart from any law doing or based of, of us. Although the law, that is Moses and the prophets of Hebrew scriptures, they bear witness to this righteousness. They talk about it. And this is what I mean, Paul says. It is the righteousness of God that is a gift to the person. It's the righteousness of God that comes to the person through faith in Jesus Christ. For all who believe, and here's his point that When he said all there, he means whether you're a Jew or whether you're a non-Jew and it covers everybody, for all who believe. Because of this, there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile in this. For all Jews and all Gentiles have sinned, and they all fall short of the glory of God. And any of them, many Jews, many Gentiles, We're going to be in heaven, in the resurrection, glorifying God in Jesus Christ only because of what he says next. They're justified. And they are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, a bloody sacrifice where his wrath was poured out upon them, upon so that the sins of all the justified would be punished and God would impute to them Jesus' righteousness. The propitiation by his blood, here it is, it is to be received, that gift is received, never earned, received by This was what became all the clearer to Peter. God showed me that I am not to call any person unworthy of the gospel. Common or unclean. In years after Peter's vision, there were many professing believers in Jesus. That He died for sins, He's the Jewish Messiah. That He was bodily resurrected from the dead. They're coming out of Jerusalem throughout the Roman Empire to these churches that the Apostle Paul would plant. And when Paul was gone, they would show up and say, Paul, He got the Jesus thing right, he got the resurrection right, but I, I think he probably left out some things for you, Gentile Christians. You see, and it's really important because it's great, yes, you can be saved by Jesus, but you cannot remain a Gentile. You have to become Jewish. I mean, come on. It's the greatest thing ever. that speaks over the last 2,000 years. Don't think it's just a Jewish thing. It is racism through and through. It's cultureism through and through. It's classism through and through. And so they would say, you must go ahead and be ceremonially circumcised men. And you must keep kosher diet, and you must keep Sabbath the way we keep Sabbath. You you can't say it's not important to become a Jew and say I'm saved by Jesus. That's what they would do. And you all know the letter to the Galatians where he writes it to a whole bunch of churches in that region when this was happening initially, but you read most, most all of Paul's letters, this is what's underlying constantly throughout his ministry. And Paul says, when they do that, in Galatians 1, he says, and they put this little twist. Yes, Jesus, he's the Savior. Yes, he's raised from the dead. And then they put this little twist. Now you must go on and add these religious Moses Bible ordinances and works to your faith. In order to be saved, or you won't be saved, Paul very clearly says, those who preach that turn the gospel, not into a little tweak to gospel, but into no gospel at all. And if they go on preaching that, they will be damned to hell. Anathema. Then he comes to chapter 2. Peter never preached the false gospel. But the pressure culturally was so big, when there were some of these Jewish Christians that came up from Jerusalem to the city of Antioch, Peter and Barnabas stopped eating baby back ribs in Gentile homes. They they knew it was fine. They knew the gospel. But the pressure got so big, it became obvious over the next couple months, the Gentile Christians say, how come Peter and Barnabas and others aren't even eating Paul comes to town, and he sees it. And everyone's talking, Peter, so this is not a backroom discussion. This is public. We're going to get in front of whatever 1,300 or how many Christians there were. And publicly, Paul says to Peter in chapter 2 of Galatians, Peter, you and I, got a lot of non-Jews out here who believe in Jesus too, and some Jews. You and I, Peter, We're Jews by birth, and we're not Gentile sinners. Yet, Peter, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but only through faith in Jesus Christ. And so, Peter, we also... We believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by the works of the law no one will be justified. This is the gospel that strips all of the sinful, hellish arrogance from all persons who have truly Come to faith in Jesus and that's why there is only one way to eternal life for the Jew and only one way of eternal life for all other people and people groups no matter class, culture, race or ethnicity it is through Jesus and Jesus alone and at the core of the gospel therefore is the power to destroy pride in one's birth status or performance. I'm a Jew. I'm a Gentile. I'm black. I'm white. I'm a male. I'm a female. But Jesus came in order very purposely to bring to himself people, out of every people group in order to form for himself one body in Christ. That's why we who believe are going to sing our hearts out here in a minute, because we believe in the gospel. We believe in the creed. We believe in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We believe that Christ nailed our sins to the cross. Jew or Gentile. Hallelujah to our Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you. May we now... In light of this glorious gospel, sing with gusto by your spirit. What we do together, believe. Amen.